This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery. Are you a drug addict? Do you need fucking help? Do you need treatment? Well, if you do, I totally suggest going to Aloe in Silver Lake in Malibu. It was created by our very good friend, Bob Forrest, and his friends, Evan, Bob, and Jared. Aloe is a place where addicts are treated with connection and compassion rather than control. They have years and years and years of combined experience. They treat co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They have amenities that you can't even believe, including sound bath meditation, equine therapy, fucking yoga, sweat lodges, you name it. They got it. If you're fucked and you have nowhere else to go and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I totally recommend aloe. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by YourSoberBuddy.com. What is Your Sober Buddy? It is a super cute, fluffy character that will walk you through recovery in a fun and easy-to-understand way. Sober Buddy is like a virtual co-pilot helping you uh, deal with your addiction and with your recovery. You can sign up for Sober Buddy Mail for free and receive daily emails with bite-sized challenges, motivations, tips, and resources. Whatever drug you're on, if you're on alcohol, whatever, whatever stage of recovery, whether you're just starting out or you've been sober for years, Sober Buddy can help. They even have a, uh, an option for people who are on Suboxone or any other kind of medical, medically assisted treatment. People love Sober Buddy. They look forward to daily emails, and we've had messages of people who say it's really helped them not to relapse. I totally recommend it. It's totally free. You sign up at YourSoberBuddy.com, and you follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Give it a shot. What do you have to lose? It's like another layer of protection in your battle against relapse. YourSoberBuddy.com. Check it out. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by listeners like you, in the Dopey Nation, through the power of the Dopey Patreon. It's been like four or five weeks that I've promised original Patreon-exclusive content, and I still haven't done it. That doesn't mean I'm not going to do it. But for now, if you want to throw down some money to Dopey Patreon, you go to www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast, throw a buck, throw 25, whatever. Help keep the Dopey Podcast as happy, joyous, and free as possible. Also, if you want dopey gear, you Venmo me for ski hats, socks, and stickers, 
And that's about to end. It's all about to change. The store is going to change. So if you want one of those dopey uh, snapbacks or ski hats or socks, Venmo me now at Dopey Podcast. If you want a shirt or a long sleeve or a hoodie from the old store, you go to dopeypodcast.com. But the whole dopey store is about to change. It's a dawning of a new day. It's very exciting. Enough with the fucking ads. Here is the show. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I am Dave, and I am alone in the attic. And uh, the coronavirus has taken over the world. So I hope everybody is okay. It's fucking crazy, right? Um, It was about, I want to say, eight weeks ago that I was driving uh, to a gig for Katz's when my driver, Willie... He's an amazing guy, was telling me about the coronavirus, and he started showing me this weird conspiracy videos of Chinese people dying in the street and how bad it was going to be. And, um, you know, I was scared, but I didn't really believe it. And now, uh, as you guys all know, everything has gone haywire. The NBA is canceled. The NHL is canceled. They are uh, canceling all Broadway shows Everything is getting canceled except for my fucking catering gig tomorrow. So tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up at 4.40 and I'm going to get on the 5.46 train to New York um, to go cater some lunch at a big bank. And, um, you know, I I don't know if I'm more nervous or angry. You know, the idea of getting the coronavirus because I have to go serve a bunch of pastrami sandwiches is annoying. But... um, And I also don't want to do it. I love the idea of staying home. Like today I I worked from home and, uh, and my daughter was sick. She had a stomach virus and it was like, it was like old times. And all I could think of is how much I I want to be quarantined. It's like some, uh, could be like a punk rock, uh, love song anthem. I, I want to be quarantined with you. And today me and my daughter watched the end of the extended version of Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. We're watching that over a long period of time. It was great. And um, I would love more time at home with the family, whatever. It would be awesome. I hope you guys are all okay, obviously. Um, it's scary. Uh, people are dying and things are changing. And in my 45 years on the planet... I've never seen anything like this. It reminds me of a blizzard, but obviously it's it's much scarier and it's it's much uh, uh, potentially more deadly. It also reminds me of how much I used to love getting drugs during a blizzard or like the old 9-11 story. Like I was actually just writing the 9-11 story and uh, and I was writing about how if the world was going to end, I better have dope. And with this kind of thing, like I'm sure a ton of you guys who listen uh, are using or struggling and, you know, how long can you, how much dope can you get? How rich is anybody? Who can survive a quarantine with dope? Are the methadone clinics giving out crazy long-term take-homes? You know, they, they don't want this thing to spread, but how much, how much, how many take-homes can you give to a methadone addict or a methadone patient? It's, it's crazy. We are in a crazy, crazy time. 
And uh, I guess we'll find out more as time goes on, which is the other thing about everything is that in recovery, you're supposed to take it one day at a time or one minute at a time or one second at a time because things aren't necessarily okay in your head. And this coronavirus is just like that. Everything is totally out of whack. And the idea is to try to have faith that things will be okay. But more than faith, you got to actually take precautions, which is the other thing in recovery. You actually have to take steps. With this, you have to wash your hands. You have to limit exposure. And and I barely, I mean, like in my life, I haven't been the cleanest person. This is a new era of hand washing for me. When I go to work, everybody hugs each other and they don't want to stop. And I don't want to stop. But all of a sudden, I think we're going to stop. So you got to to avoid this thing, you got to do what's recommended. You got to take suggestions. You got to wash up. You got to fucking keep to yourself. It's also crazy because uh, we have to go to meetings. You have to connection is the opposite of addiction. Like this is a crazy moment for drug addicts. All right, enough with the coronavirus. Another thing happened this week on iTunes. I got some negative comments that the show was too focused on recovery. And um, which always bothers me. The week before, there was a blog saying that I make fun of recovery too much. And it kind of said that Chris and I had made fun of recovery too much. And now people are like, the show isn't dopey enough. And I talk about this every once in a while. And I post about this every once in a while. It annoys the shit out of me. Obviously, um, the show is what the show is. If Chris and Todd hadn't died, the show would be... Um, different, but even when Chris was alive, we talked recovery. So just give me a fucking break. I've been listening to a ton of uh, old shows with me and Chris, and I hear a ton of recovery talk. I hear Chris talk about rigorous honesty. I hear Chris talking about step work. I hear us talking about ways to uh, to improve our lives in recovery. So I know that it's in there. I do feel compelled to. Uh, talk about the benefits of being in recovery because two of my best friends uh, OD'd and died and my life is so good because I'm in recovery. I don't like to schmaltz it up. I don't want to preach, but it's just the truth. You know, it's like I almost destroyed my life. There was no reason that I didn't die except that I didn't. But Chris and Todd weren't so lucky and I don't want that fate for you guys. I want you guys to just, I want you to do what the hell you want to do. Do what you want to do. But I'm just saying that my life got better when I stopped using drugs. Anyway, I I hate the fucking preaching. It makes me sick. And on another note, I got really high this week. So I think it's important to mention that. I don't know if you guys listened to last week, but I had a a lot of dental problems. And I went to the dentist this week. And he was like, you know, I had cracked a tooth, but I guess it was still in there. And the dentist was like, I'm going to have to give you two fillings and two root canals and a post. And I and this, you know, it's a borderline relapse. But I said, he said, I said, to be totally honest, I said, can you give me gas? Because I don't do well with pain. And they fucking pumped me up with nitrous. And I got incredibly high. And I kind of heard Dark Side of the Moon playing in my head. And all I could think was how I didn't want it to end you know, the high. And I thought of the show and I thought of, you know, I thought of my life and I knew that when it was over, I wasn't going to go out and and buy whippets or find a hippie with a nitrous tank. I knew I was going to get right back into uh, my sober life. 
but it was like a relapse. It was a free lapse. It was, it was using nitrous to deal with my dentistry and I did enjoy it. And I used to love getting high. I just happened to also love being sober, which will be my transition into, uh, this week's weird special episode, which is a dopey in the family special where I have Linda's mom, telling uh her experience dealing with me and um and her and her family you know basically i hijacked her family i got her daughter pregnant and uh and i relapsed on heroin and she had to deal with it and i think it's a very compelling story and me and linda's mom whose name is susan sat down and we talked about it so uh take a listen let me know what you think and i'll talk to you when it's over so this is um this is a very special sit-down interview. We're in a new place. We are uh, near the Great South Bay in Suffolk County, New York, on Long Island, in the, in the midst of the coronavirus epidemic. And I am at my quote-unquote mother-in-law's Sue's Kitchen. And here is Sue on the show. Welcome to Dopey. Thanks, Dave. I'm excited and nervous to be here. The funniest part is that the first time Linda came on the show, you were like, when am I going to be on the show? I was kidding. But you said it a lot of times. I, I know I did. <laughs> and, and I was always like, never. It's never going <laughs> to happen. And then I kind of thought about it. And I think that your story is an important story. I mean, not necessarily for the dopey nation in terms of my story, but more mm-hmm. for the story of an addict who has an in-law that has to kind of deal with their child's choice because Linda isn't an addict. Exactly. And we met like 11 years ago. Yes, we did. Do you remember when we met? What do you remember? I distinctly remember meeting you, I think at a party. Really? And I remember thinking you were a little unusual. (laughs) What did you think? But it was very brief and then I don't think I met you again. Oh, you probably met me at Linda's 35th birthday yes. party in, in Astoria. Yes. And then I don't think I met you again until um, after you and Linda were together and she was pregnant. No, I think I came out here for dinner before she was pregnant. Really? Well, yes. That's how memorable it was for you. For me, it was like the most important night of my life. <laughs> what I wanted to say is... Um, I just want you and your listeners... The Dopey Nation. The Dopey Nation. Yes. To keep in mind that um, my memory isn't the sharpest. I think your memory is pretty sharper than mine, probably. And I've tried to kind of almost um, repress some of the stuff from 11 years ago. Me too. So (laughs) I do remember after I met you after that... um, the one thing I noticed is you became very familiar very fast, and you called me Sue. <laughs> which, as, right, as opposed to your Mrs. Yeah, last and I wasn't used to um, to that from uh, you know from people that I first met, and also you used uh, you very comfortably used the F word right in a lot of your conversations. It makes me feel. <laughs> first of all, I was ra- like we've talked about this, but yes. I was raised by. Very liberal Jewish people yes. who had everybody calling them by their first name. Yes. So every parent I ever met, I called by their first name. And, and Linda would always say, you know, my mom's not sure about you <laughs> calling them Sue and Tony. And I was like, well, um, 
And I was I was very indignant then. I, I, I didn't know another way to be. And I always cursed to make myself feel more comfortable. Yes. So so that was my first impression. <clears throat> but I've since learned that part of that familiarity is one of your positive attributes. Mm. But it was one of my um, you know, my initial reactions and because I came from a very um straight-laced family, and I think that plays into some of the things we'll talk about, too, some of my reactions, because um, some of the things I learned through you were never part of my... Um, upbringing? Upbringing. What did you learn? Or friends. Well, because, like, let's deal with that background stuff yes. right away. Yes. You Have you ever done drugs? I've never done drugs. I've never smoked. Uh, I... If, even if I had a headache, I don't take an aspirin. Right. And no one in my family... Well, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. I'm not, not counting my children. <laughs> um, but, you know, nobody in my sphere um, was involved in anything like that. So, I mean, obviously, you know, your, your children, like, didn't wind up as heroin addicts. Uh, but they, you know, yes, they, they had did. their dalliances. Yes, they did. And you experienced that. Yes, and that was difficult. And, and it, but was... it wasn't like crazy consequential stuff. No, it wasn't. So, so Linda did tell me um, that you had a, a drug history. Um, you know, that you had a number of years out in California with um, some issues. She did tell me that. when she After she was pregnant. I'm not sure if it was after we first met or after she was pregnant, but she did tell me, and she told me, you know, about your mom and about uh, you getting clean and going into rehab, and so I felt fairly comfortable. Um, Not happy to hear your past, but I I felt fairly comfortable with it. Not to mention my present was not stellar. I was, at the time, I, I don't even think but I... Had, I didn't know that. Well, I don't even think I had a good... Like, I don't think I had a good job at the time. I think I was, like, work... I wasn't even waiting tables at that point. Right. I had just come back from California, yes. and I met Linda immediately. Yes. And I was like, I want to be with you. But I knew that you had turmoil in your life with your mom's illness right. and things like and my that. My mom had just died when yes. we had met. Yes, yes. And so I knew that, you know, you were dealing with that. And you were sympathetic so to that. I was sympathetic to that and optimistic that what Linda felt was was true, that, you know, that at that point you were clean. And um, so that that's what I thought. And that's your brother's clock chiming in the distance. Yes. Normally when we do the show, it's like we do it at my dad's house. Huh? Should I turn it off? No, it's fine. How often does it go? Every 15 minutes. All right, that'll be fun. Normally (laughs) when we do the show in Manhattan, there's like police sirens, and my dad has six telephones. Who knows why? And they all ring (laughs) often. All telemarketers. Yeah, often telemarketers, and often his his weird friends. Um, So at what point do you think... Did it start to become apparent to you that I was not uh, particularly well? Well, because I have no experience with all of this, I didn't know that. I just thought you were an unusual person. You know, I didn't know what the cause of some of the issues were and some of the things I was seeing. So if we fast forward to when the baby was born... Right. At the hospital in the city, mm-hmm. um, and of course we were there, 
and it was kind of a stressful situation. She was born early and... Uh, Very stressful. She had hip dysplasia. There were, there were a lot of issues. And um, I saw you not... I don't mean not reacting with Linda, but just reacting to the situation in a way that, you know, I might have expected. I don't think you came to the hospital as much as I thought you might have. No, I was I was using. Yes, but see, I didn't know that. So even when I saw you, I just thought, well, he's an oddball. Or, you know, I mean, I didn't know that that was the reason. Right. And I didn't know for a long time. That was my own ignorance. Well, it was also Linda didn't want you to know because yeah. Linda was making a life with me and we were yes. trying to yes. get through the situation yes. however we could. Yes. And for her to tell you, right. like, wasn't going to instill any confidence in the situation. Right. And she was hoping we could just make it through. Right. Because I don't think she knew the extent of it right. or knew what it would be. So when we got back to your apartment where I stayed for several days. Yeah. Um, you stayed in the in the back, right? No. Where'd you stay? You went to the back room. Oh, you stayed with bit. Linda. I stayed with Linda or on the sofa. And I stayed in the back. And you stayed in the back. And then when I went home, I came in every day, and I, I have a clear memory, memory of getting there. Maybe the baby was not even a week old. And you saying you had to go out. And I remembered looking at you, thinking you looked like a drug dealer, because you had on you were unkempt, you had on a hoodie and your pants hanging down, and I just looked and I, I just thought <laughs> yeah. something's wrong with the scene. Yes. But again, I, I didn't know what it was. No, I certainly you know? wasn't a drug dealer. No, it no, no. I know wor- it was much worse than. Yeah, that. no. I mean, I'm I'm just saying that was the vision. I didn't. It didn't enter my mind that that's what you were doing. I'm just saying your appearance. And how scared were you at the time? Or were you just like hoping was, for the best? I was so um, sad for, uh, you know, Linda really had some postpartum yeah. issues. Um, you know, she was a new mom. And it Nora, was winter. Was, Nora was in trouble. Nora had problems. She and had hip dysplasia. What, and, what else did she have? Yeah, that was mainly the main uh Issue, right, you right. know, but she was in braces like right away. Her legs. She was in the harness and the, the full harnesses. and the full harness, and yeah. it was a very. It's always sad to see a little yes. baby who's obstructed, yeah. or and it's our baby, yeah. Yeah. you know. And yeah, I. I mean, just for anybody in the audience that doesn't know the story, I had um, when Linda and I got together, I had stopped doing heroin and I had stopped taking pills. I was still smoking pot though. Yeah. And uh and during the course of the pregnancy I wound I Todd wound up coming over with heroin mm-hmm. and I wound mm-hmm. up doing heroin with mm-hmm. Todd and then I I was so nervous about the it, the you know Linda responsibility. And I had, well, Linda and I had just met. Right. You know, exactly. I was so nervous about everything. Right. You know, there was this. I, I had just moved back to New York. My mother had just died, and this woman uh, who I loved and was excited about being with was pregnant, and I knew that I wasn't ready to have a kid, mm-hmm. and I was scared, mm-hmm. and uh, and I had not lived drug free at all. And, uh, and in fact, I was on, I had been on drugs. I had mm-hmm. been on heroin and methadone and, and 
benzos for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So like this was the first time Mm -hmm. that I was off of most of those drugs. So I was Mm -hmm. feeling incredibly anxious. And then Todd came over with heroin and I felt totally relieved because that chemical was in my bloodstream. It was a total biochemical Mm -hmm. sort of reaction. And of course, when you start doing heroin, you want to do more of it. So I was totally uh, knowing that this was not the right thing to do Mm -hmm. and um, living with Linda and the baby, trying to keep money coming in and keep my job. And, um, and, and I was using more and more. And, uh, and as we got to know each other in the first place, you were getting to know somebody who was becoming more and more reliant on mm-hmm. heroin. Mm-hmm. And and I had your granddaughter and your daughter. Exactly. So it must have been terrifying. It was. It was well, again, I didn't know the reason. But um yes, it was scary because this is my only daughter and she was in her mid thirties and we're so excited to have a granddaughter and this wasn't, you know, the life that we were dreaming about for her, for them. And, um, but I did, I wound up going home and you guys were together for, you know, a few months until we got a call from Linda that, uh, you were doing drugs. And of course, then it all made sense to me. And I was very, very sad. And, uh, Linda did come out here with the baby. Well, she, what she happened was, she found she she was watching TV mm-hmm. and she would watch TV every night um, and fall asleep on the couch. Mm-hmm. And I would do drugs after she fell asleep. Mm-hmm. And I thought she had fallen asleep, but she hadn't. And she mm-hmm. came to say goodnight and I had a needle in my mm-hmm. lap mm-hmm. and I thought she saw it, but mm-hmm. she didn't. Mm-hmm. And then I told her and after she saw it, she like flipped out. Yeah. She ran out of the house mm-hmm. And then she called you guys mm-hmm. and her dad, Tony, mm-hmm. your husband, mm-hmm. uh, said, you better make sure Dave is gone so I don't kick the shit out of him. I'm coming to get you. But actually, I think that was almost the second time because I think she had come out here once before. She had come out, but it was... And she, then she went back to kind of just see if it could work out. She didn't know the, f- the first time that exactly, I was on heroin. Exactly. And then that time when we got the call, Tony said, call Alan, have him come and get Dave. I'm coming in to get you. And we were just wrecked. I mean, really, really, really sad and upset, angry. And Tony did. He drove into Queens and he got uh, Linda and Nora. And that was it. They then lived with us for, uh, what, at least a year and a half, (laughs) two two years, years, two years. And, um, And there's more to that story. So, Well, no, I mean, my, my end of that story was, after that happened, I, um, you know, I never felt worse or, mm-hmm. like, and I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I know that, um, and my, and my drug addiction, uh, came very much back alive, like, like mm-hmm. crazy powerful and, uh, just a, a really very, very, very bad relapse. Uh, and I was managing Katz's and I was making a bunch of money and I was doing a ton of heroin, and the addiction mm-hmm. really took over. And I wound up uh, living alone in Astoria for a while, and then moving to the Lower East Side. And uh, and 
But I want to mention one thing, which because I'm not sure what you're going to lead up to, but yeah, I'll no, throw you're, in. You're, you're, it's more I'll important what in. you say than what I say. During this time, we spent several thousand dollars going to lawyer. Right. Because we had to work out um, custody. custody and visitation, during which time you were um, hostile, <laughs> rather hostile. Tell and, me what you remember, because I don't remember that's much. That's what I remember. You were hostile. You were angry. Uh, there were a number of phone calls where you um, blamed me for what was going on. Because um, if I hadn't been here to support them and encourage them, they'd be stuck. They with would me. still be with you, and you would be able to take care of everybody. Right. right. And um, so the lawyer worked it out. And then the day that this was supposed to be finalized in court, you came to court high on drugs. Yes, with my sister, I think. No, your father. Oh, really? With your father. I don't know if your sister went too. No, I remember one went time with we your went father. to court. With, yes, because with... you went several times, yeah. but this was during the final settlement, right. what, the, what it was right. going to be. And then you, apparently it wasn't too good that you showed up at court like that. So I can't imagine how it could be good. There right? were supposed to be uh, supervised visitations for quite a long time, and that was what the the final... You know, document document said. said, and then you and your dad came over here. We sat out on our screened porch, and you got so angry, and you started saying things. And your dad said to me um, that the drugs make people lie and not tell the truth, which I didn't know that. He said a lot of the lying that was going on was because of the the drugs wasn't you it was because of the drugs and, and you and proceeded you proceeded to walk out of our house in anger well i think number 1 i was high yeah. number 2 yeah. i'm sorry you know i'm sorry for everything that and i did and you said that you've said that i have right i have a yes okay. you have okay. and i i have that in my right here okay good um i know that uh you know my recollection was first of all i was high second of all it's utter powerlessness yeah. that you want something to be a certain way yeah. and you have no possibility of it being the way you want it to be mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i was so you know mangled in my mm-hmm. brain mm-hmm. that i couldn't make sense of what was happening mm-hmm. and i was angry that it wasn't going the way i wanted mm-hmm. it to and i was angry that i wasn't allowed to get high and have a family and i was angry that i couldn't keep it together and I and 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 then I was fucking everything up excuse my language but I was very upset that I was messing mm-hmm. everything up mm-hmm. um and I took it out on everybody yeah. you know and I obviously felt pretty terrible myself mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. myself and what I had done but the drugs make it easy to live with that and you can right. get angry at everybody else mm-hmm. even though you're destroying everything you know and you can blame drugs but I mean I'm I I was a hope, hopelessly addicted to very, very, very powerful drugs. Now, I know, I think at that point, because I'm not sure, I think you did go into some program during that time. I, I'm not sure, because I know the other one came much later. But you did, I think you did try, because I remember getting a call from you 
when you apologized to me for everything. And I think that was part, of, and that was the first time you kind of accepted the responsibility. And that was a very powerful moment for me. And um, the other thing I want to say is the first time you were in a rehab program or AA, or I'm not sure what you were going to, but we would, you were talking about higher power and like AA, you know, they talk about a higher power. And you told me that you had, um, you really didn't have religion and you were having trouble with finding a higher power. And you said that your love for Nora was going to be your higher power. Do you remember that? I don't. Really? <laughs> I don't remember really? it because okay. it was such a... Okay. I mean, I know. I, I'm okay. 100% certain that it was my love for Nora yes, that I got us so. here. Yes, I believe you know, that. Uh, and, I, and I am 100% certain that it was my... I mean, I, I can't put into words how I feel about mm-hmm. Nora. I know. Um, you know, it makes me very emotional. Um, I know that that was how I got out of everything mm-hmm. because... I couldn't take it. It was too painful for mm-hmm. me. And it also, like, I don't like saying this because it gives my father so much credit, mm-hmm. but my dad was such an a amazing father. Yes, he was. And is. Yes, he is. That um, the idea of me being the opposite of that, mm-hmm. it weighed terribly mm-hmm. painful mm-hmm. on me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I, that was the ultimate thing that, that led me. I mean, it was it was... It was, I mean, I think what I had going on was I was a long time drug addict and Mm. it's not easy. I think it's Mm -hmm. next to impossible Mm -hmm. for a long time drug addict to make a 90 degree turn and get off drugs and all of a sudden be a good, good provider and responsible and honest and sober and all those things. So it took me years Mm -hmm. to kind of shed the skin you know, mm-hmm. and, and every step forward I made, I'd take a couple of steps back mm-hmm. and there's the 15-minute the chime. Um, <laughs> but I think that um, in the beginning of that whole thing, I wanted to change, you know, and I wanted to, to handle it, but I didn't know how and I didn't... It was very hard to live with myself, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, the, the the one of the other things that I'm I'm not... I'm not particularly proud of it, but I know that I ne- when once they gave us the visitation schedule, I never missed a visit. Never, ever. And that's what I wanted to say. <clears throat> you were so conscientious about your visits, and it's a haul from the city out here to eastern Long Island. Um, you were so conscientious and I was the supervisor because you had to have supervised visits for quite a long time. So I was here, and you were so loving to Nora, and I was so happy for her to have such a wonderful daddy. And also, and by that I mean how loving you were with her and how conscientious you were for coming out every week. And your dad also, he faithfully came out as often as he could. Right. And that was And very... he would often supervise the, yes. the visit. If, yes. if he was available, yes. available he, yes. Because he wanted to come. Yes, yes. And, and I think and it was, that... There wasn't a week that was missed, not one week in all that time that was missed. And then the other thing, which isn't necessarily important, but I think it was part of it, was that I didn't... 
I think I was pretty conscientious about giving money to. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, see, I can't even remember what if the. I don't even think we got into money at the courts. I think that was just a figure that you came up with, or you and Linda came up with, and you absolutely never ever missed a month. Well, it was when like you were giving money, which was a big help because Linda and I'll just throw this in. She was kind of in a messed up place with all this going on. And while we had the baby here, she was getting up at six in the morning, commuting into New York City, working all day. She didn't see the baby at all for for a long, long time because she'd get home after the baby was in bed. For like almost a year, right? For, for quite a long time until one day she broke down in her bed her bedroom here in my small house. And I just told her just quit the job. It's too much. And she she got another one, but at least it was on Long Island. So it did affect uh, all of us big time, you know. But um, hearing all of this, the bottom line is the hope of where we are today. But there's right? more bad stuff before we get to the good stuff. All right. Because I remember... Oh, yes, there is. <laughs> I remember in all of that period... You know, I was very much in denial about like what was actually going on, and I always wanted Linda to get back together with yeah, me, yeah, uh, yeah. regardless of where I was at or mm-hmm. what I was capable mm-hmm. of. And I, and my relapse like became very intense, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, and I like I remember I got hurt. Like I, I went out one night and I wound up, <laughs> I wound up walking into a wall and breaking my nose oh and my getting gosh. a black eye. And Linda's like, I was sitting with Linda and she was like, what is wrong with you? And I was using a ton of heroin and um, and I just kind of confessed it. And I was such a mess at work. And I was kind of like, they had given me this manager job and uh, and I didn't deserve it. And I and I certainly wasn't good at it. And uh, and I was totally high. So uh, pretty quickly, they realized that that wasn't going to work, and they and they and Katz has basically fired me, mm-hmm. you know. And and I think that was, I think that was the turning point. Well, that, I don't mean that you turned over, but that made you do something. It was it was powerful forces mm-hmm. that were going to. I mean, in my life as an addict, I always kind of got away with using, mm-hmm. you know. I I and I. Whatever the situation, I was not an adult. I was like a child, uh, and I had an ex-girlfriend who helped me use and live for years and years, and I had jobs that paid me a bunch of money, and I always was... I was never like an addict in the street. I always was Mm -hmm. pretty comfortable wherever Mm -hmm. I was, and the Mm -hmm. same thing was was happening at that point, except being separate, being an estranged drug addict father Mm -hmm. was just a terrible feeling. and heroin does anesthetize, 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 mm-hmm. anesthetize pain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I would use more and more because the pain and the shame was so crazy. Mm-hmm. And I, I was, you know, I was 36, 37, and, you know, I had basically squandered my entire life, mm-hmm. you know, for this drug. Mm-hmm. And here was this baby and mm-hmm. Linda, mm-hmm. And, uh, and things weren't getting better. They were getting much mm-hmm. worse. And, um, and you, I mean, the only upside to it was your upside that you got to, and it wasn't necessarily an upside, but you got to bond so much with Nora. Yes, I did. And, um, 
you know, I, I th- felt like she was mine. Right, and you still do sometimes. And I, I do. <laughs> and and in a way, and in a way, she is. You know, because it really happened like that, mm-hmm. and she needed you, and you were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's bittersweet for everybody, but it's also it's it's a piece of an upside. And I had to go to treatment, and once I got to treatment, I was very much again just like okay, I can fix the relationship now, and uh, and I couldn't, right. you know, at all. And and that's when I actually had met Chris, and uh, and that's when I really started trying recovery. I think whatever program I had been in before was some kind of an outpatient program that mm-hmm. wasn't really it was totally ineffective. But I don't even remember what it was. I was in so many programs like that that didn't mean anything to me because I never wanted to stop using. I was going to say, do you think that's what? Do you think it was a superior program or you were just ready? I wasn't ready then either. When I got out of the treatment, we had papers in place that said, I'm, I'm going to be tested. I'm going to be tested at a year. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to be tested. Uh, I'm going to be tested every month. I mean, they're going to take hair. Mm-hmm. And remember, it was like Linda had the lawyer put mm-hmm. in this hair test mm-hmm. and You know, and I was very scared. I had smoked pot from, you know, 19 to I was 37, 38. I hadn't missed a day smoking pot. And the idea of not smoking pot was terrifying to me. I mean, the other stuff was scary, but weed was like, was very, I mean, I would beg Linda to just let me smoke pot. I would beg you. I remember trying to explain it to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because you didn't think it was a problem. Well, I was... At that time, hopelessly dependent on it, mm-hmm. I, I felt it was it was it it was my it was self medication. Mm-hmm. It was my medication, and when I got out of treatment, I wasn't ready at all. I I I was in a twelve step fellowship, and I wanted to get high every day, mm-hmm. and uh, and I got I got eight I I got out of that that uh, rehab, and I did heroin the first day out. And uh, and then I hung out with Todd for about a week, and I smoked weed with him for about a week. And I remember sitting with him and saying, this has to stop really soon mm-hmm. because I need to be able to see my kid. Mm-hmm. I can't have it be like this. And Todd had no idea what I was talking about, you know. Um, Can you see why I wasn't a big fan of Todd's? Yeah. Because I was aware of some of that stuff. Of course, and and but Todd was a was mm-hmm. a free spirit, and mm-hmm. he didn't have responsibility, and mm-hmm. he was a drug addict. And why would you be a fan of his? You know? But what I guess I never understood is if you're a good friend, and you know they want to stop, they really truly do. Why would you encourage them to join in on your bad habit? That's what I never could understand. Uh, I think it's a, a real sort of it's a, it's mostly it's immaturity, and then it's a little bit of misery loves company, yeah. and it's a little bit of like yeah. you don't understand the real consequences. Not not oh, you. Oh, oh, Todd thought, didn't understand okay. what it was for you for me. Right. You know, and and that, what you were gonna lose. Well, what I had lost. Yes. And yeah. what I and what I was gonna. I yeah. mean, like that. What I was gonna try to get back. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm gonna try to get this back. And I remember mm-hmm. sitting with Todd on the balcony of my apartment, and I was smoking pot with him, and the sun was going down, and I was like, This is it. Mm-hmm. You know. And I and I didn't do drugs again for 18 months. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried to get Linda back the whole time, and she was too angry, and it wasn't gonna happen. But and you guys did go on a trip, didn't you, to Pennsylvania or something? No, it was years later. 
Oh, it was, was here. It after that? It, it was okay. way after that. I think mm-hmm. we, we did a... Linda... A trial all, trip. Well, Linda always, like, I think deep down she wanted to find a way to make it work. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of pain and a lot of messed up feelings. And also, Linda has such a good heart and she has such a social worker mentality. And deep... And she loved you. And I think part of her could could almost understand some of it, even though she didn't want it for herself. I think most important to Linda at that point was um, was that Nora have a, a father who yes. has their shit together. Yeah, you know, and um, and I think and who wouldn't want that, right, for themselves and their daughter? She was, Linda was very depressed when she was living here. She didn't want to be living in my little guest room and having her daughter and you know on my office. And, and she wanted to be she wanted to be autonomous as a mother. Yeah, you know. And she yes. moved out, yes. and um, and I got a, and I got my eighteen months, and that's when I started getting Nora in yes. Manhattan yeah. for overnights. Yeah, and um, and that made. Well, you could see how that could make Linda a little nervous initially. initially. But I did. I handled it pretty well, mm-hmm. you know. Um, mm-hmm. And and it was awesome. Nora was little too. She was very little. And considering everything that had happened, it mm-hmm. was a miracle mm-hmm. that I handled it well, mm-hmm. you yes. know. And I think at that point, you, our relationship got much better, you know. You and I, because Linda and I would get into these like patches where we wouldn't speak, mostly because I would want right. to be back together or whatever. And, and you I, did. Do you remember calling me a lot? Yes. <laughs> we'd well, do be, you? We'd be, oh, yes. We'd be on the phone for like an hour. Well, I was very, I was in turmoil. Yeah, I know. And what did you make of all that? Well, I did feel that you were in turmoil. And I, I never... Um, I never despised you. I mean, I always my heart. Went this is, that's the that's the least amount of goodwill that I could ever imagine hearing. I never <laughs> despised you. No, but I mean, you did hurt my daughter and our family in a lot of ways. You know that we didn't expect to have in life. But I I, I felt bad for you, and deep down, I I knew that you were a good man. You know, and I knew you were a good father and a good person. So I think I chose to dwell on that rather than the other. Well, you know? I did. I obviously like the the Nora was my uh my my purpose. You I know, know what I mean? Like I she was my purpose and uh and I I loved her so much, you know? know, and um and you would see that. And then also like once I started taking her with me, you would experience our bond. You right. know, and I think I mean, I think that's when yes. I started to turn a corner yes. in your heart yes. kind of thing. <laughs> like when... when yes. I mean, when I, do you I think, think it was when, a gradual thing, you know. I, I, you know, I really believed that you um, had beat this. You know, I really... Once I really, in my heart, believed that. Um, and I also respect and admire... Even though I've never taken drugs, I've read enough and seen enough to know how hard the struggle has to be. And so I admire that you were able to come through that struggle to all that you've accomplished today, you know? What was the angriest you think you were? 
You, because you, like, you, like... I'm not an angry person. So there are probably a lot of people that might not have been as um, open to a positive future (laughs) as Tony and I were. Well, Tony was incredibly open to it. And I think Tony was more open to it than you were. Um, You talked a lot to Tony over the years. I know that you did back then. You know. Well, he was he was incredibly helpful, and yeah. he uh, he for whatever reason he really liked me, yeah. you know. And maybe it's because I was a different kind of person than he was mm-hmm. used to. And I was mm-hmm. I know Tony always loved individuals, and mm-hmm. I, I'm very much like you said a weirdo. And no, I didn't say that. Strange. I said you're a little unusual. Yes, and I think Tony liked that about me. Yeah, um, and that's what we like about you now, right? Um, but I think. I, I, I messed up infinite times through all that t- stuff, you know what I mean? And uh, and by the time I actually got sober, it was years later, you know what I mean? Because I, mm-hmm. I, I, had, I had systematically ruined it yeah. over and over and over again. I didn't get completely sober until Nora was four or, or five, you know, okay. in that year. And, um, and it wasn't until I could actually live without Linda that she wanted to have me back. You know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. it was that phenomenon. Interesting. You know, and then when I moved out or then when we got back together, what did you think? Were you like, oh God. When you were together but before you moved out here? Well just that beginning, you know? No. Look. I mean we've been back together for like five years, I guess. You are Nora's daddy. And to us, the best case scenario, even though some of our friends disagreed, was that you, sh- you, and Linda and Nora should be a family together. Right. That was our dream. That that is what would happen, and we held on to the hope that that would happen. Especially as you were coming around, and the two of you got back together. And I was concerned when you moved out here, you know, into that into the little apartment yeah. at first. Uh, because I knew that was going to be stress. I felt that a lot of stress probably wasn't the best thing for you. It was stressful. But no, I think I had had, I think when I moved out there, I had, I didn't have a year clean. I think I had Mm. like 10 months Mm -hmm. when I moved out there. I think it was in May. Yeah, I don't remember. I think it was in the spring. But that's not a lot. No. When you think of. No, definitely not. You know, and also just me and her getting, Linda and I getting back together and I hadn't mm-hmm. had much time. We, mm-hmm. I was just like a few months clean when we got back together. Mm-hmm. And, um, and nobody would ever recommend that. But it was years of in and mm-hmm. out and trying mm-hmm. and whatever. Um, it's funny, though. You know, it's funny to look back at it. It's, it's, it's a lot, right? I put you through a lot of stuff. You did, Dave. I'm sorry, Sue. Oh, and Dave has apologized to me. Um, ad nauseum. F- no, 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 no. Not ad nauseum. It'll never be enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, but over the years, and I've totally accepted that because none of it was intentional. And can I throw in that Dave right now is like, he works so hard do you mind me saying all these good things? You never say. I mean, we go yes. to Christmas. She goes. She goes. Oh yeah. She goes. She goes. That's Nora's father. And it's like, have you? And you, will you ever be comfortable saying my son-in-law? Will you ever be comfortable with that? Well, the answer is no. Well, I will if you get. Married. That's what you need. In marriage. It takes marriage. Well, to be an official son-in-law. 
Right. Do you think it would right? be better if we got married? I don't think it matters anymore. I no. really don't. Right. You know, I mean, I, I think you're like married now. And you went on to have another beautiful daughter. Right. And Very difficult baby. No. No. Named after you. No. And that was the honor of a lifetime. That they named their last, uh, their second daughter. Their yeah. last daughter. <laughs> better be last. Right. And the first thing I said was, count me out for the babysitting on this one, right? But? <laughs> but I'm babysitting, not not too much. No, but you've... No you, buts. But Susan, is, you, she's, I mean, I know that one time, you know, this Sue was like, count me out, and then she came over one time, and the baby didn't go crazy to see her, and... and and you were like, "What's going on? I got to come over more." And now, I now she loves to see me. Yes, she does. <laughs> now love to she see loves me. to see me. And um, oh, now you got notes. I have. What do I, you got? I just have to make sure I covered everything that I wanted to. And what what and kind I of advice? What kind of advice would you give somebody in a similar situation wow. who like might be raising their kids' kids? Or, or like, or they have, uh, you know, uh, a, a significant other of their kid who's um, on drugs, you know, or like just somebody in your situation, what would you guide them? What would you tell them to do? Well, first of all, for the grandchild, you really have to be there for the grandchild. You have to be there for the grandchild. Because who knows what the kids are going to do, what the parents are going to do. The parents, Yes. And that being said, I would say to just hang in there because there is hope. There's tremendous hope because Dave had problems for so many years. And now he's um, he's really, he's got his podcast. He works very hard and he's a wonderful father. I work very pro- hard. He works very, very hard and a wonderful provider. And if you can just hang in and know that there is there is. Light at the end of the tunnel for the whole family. For the whole family. The worst part of it, though, is sometimes that doesn't happen. We and got that's so the truth. we got so lucky. We got very lucky, and I'm not being, you know, Pollyanna here. I know that uh, sometimes it doesn't have a, as happy an ending as we have, and I don't even want to say ending because you know life brings strange things going forward. You never know what's going to happen, and you never know. And we will always be here for Dave. That's nice. And I'm holding his hand right now. Oh, that's now. very nice. And um, how about the time that uh, when you, you come to the house and you steal cookies, though? And and she Sue comes to the house, and uh, and Sue has an interesting sort of relationship with sweets, not to the level of mine, but she comes. She it's like we're having dessert, and she doesn't want to go nuts and have two desserts, so she'll go. I'm going to take my dessert to go and have it by myself. And, she, and she'll steal cookies from the house. I, I don't steal them. There's been several I tell occasions. you when I'm taking them. I've come home and I've looked in the cabinet and, and I, I say, Nora, what happened to the Malamars? And she says, Grandma, Grandma took, took them. them. Exactly. <laughs> but then I go home and I have my glass of milk and my cookies. And, and my nice wonderful. newspaper. And I... And no. I'm hoping nobody out there can hear my accent. You haven't, I haven't dropped an R in this whole thing, See? which is very disturbing. Because, because Dave always says I have a long, a long island. No, you have a Staten Island accent. A Staten accent. Island when, accent. when Sue comes over, because I sometimes will grill in the summertime, and Sue will go, 
you have any paper dishes? That'll be the first <laughs> thing she Yes, like you, that. Yeah, you say no. how do you say you say paper dishes? I said paper. You do not. Dishes. You do not. And um but the truth is that I love you very much and uh you know, obviously we have problems, you know, and not us, but, but like every family does. Life is not simple, but right. like I think it's pretty amazing, like everything that happened, and uh, and can I throw in one other thing? You have given up cigarettes, right? Yeah, it's been years. That I thought was pretty incredible to have the. Uh, I don't know what you would call it. I, I don't know. I don't want to use the wrong word, but that you were able to conquer your addiction to cigarettes, also. Oh, I was a terrible. I mean, terrible smoker. I right? mean, you have to be. A very, very strong person. And probably all those years you didn't realize it. Well, you know, I think I don't think it's strength. I think it's it's what it's, is it? See, I don't know. It's a mindset. A mindset. It's a it's a decision. You gotta make a decision and then you gotta like give up. You gotta just give up. You surrender. It's all about surrender. I mean, I remember with the cigarettes. I was such a, a hopeless cigarette smoker. I know. Um and they were Millions of people that cannot give up. Well, I had given up drugs. Yes, you know, and yes. I and I didn't want to give up cigarettes, and um, but I also like wasn't built to be a great cigarette smoker. Like I would mm. get bronchitis once or mm-hmm. twice a year. I would cough all the time. I would I would smoke first thing in the morning. I would smoke all day. You know, right. like if I ever came over for dinner, I would go out and smoke, and. Um, and I had this terrible cough, and Nora was getting older, and it just became kind of gross to me. Mm-hmm. And it was really the cough. And we went up to the lake, and I promised I would stop smoking. And how many times can you promise something and not deliver? And mm-hmm. and I met, what it was was I was so scared that I would go through some kind of withdrawal from the nicotine, like similar to heroin withdrawal. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. my belief. And uh, it wasn't true, and it, it wasn't as hard as I thought it was, and I got used to it. It's like, I mean, it's like giving up sweets, you know? Well, can you make that decision about Diet Coke? No, I like Diet Coke, stuff. <laughs> like, I, I mean... These Dave are, is addicted to Diet Coke. I'm not addicted to it. I like it. I find that it... It's like these are the things, the, the little things that make life a little bit easier. And if I find that it's a real health risk... I could do the you same thing. You could do it if you had to. Well, if I... And I believe that. I do believe it. Yeah, I mean, Diet Coke should be the least of it, right? Okay. What else, Sue? Why don't you tell the story about... Um, there's a really weird story that we'll never get to the bottom of. Um, one thing we've done over the years, which I never expected, was we traveled as a family mm-hmm. here and there. We go Gray upstate. Fox. We went to, oh my God, we went to Gray Fox and Sue decides that she wants to go on a little adventure with Nora. And Sue also decided that she doesn't need to have a cell phone. And it's I a, didn't have one at the time. Right. It's 40,000 people there or something crazy. It's a sea of hippies, unwashed folk. And Sue's <laughs> like, we're going to go dancing. And, and Sue and Nora wander off. And the, and the, the sun, and then it got dark. The sun goes down, pitch black, and there's no way you would know where we were. Oh my gosh! There's no, and I freak out, and I'm like, "What the hell?" And I got very angry at Dave. You got angry when at I me. Got, well, because when I got back, he scolded me and yelled at me, which was not appropriate. 
<laughs> well, I, I went to the. I almost had to make an announcement on the loudspeaker. I almost like jumped on stage. I said, "Stop playing the bluegrass." You know, it's like it was very scary. It was um, because. Well, it didn't happen, you know, like, I mean, so, I mean, I could have I overdosed. I, I could have never come back. You could have, I mean, like, what could have really happened that night? I mean, maybe you didn't find us. You, I don't know what no, you would have done. No, it was extremely scary. Yeah. Looking out into this blackness of like thousands of people and not knowing where you guys were. I was, I was so scared. And we had a, a, a random blanket in the middle of like 10,000 hippies. Yeah. I know. <laughs> And you were like, let's go dancing. And Nora was like three. I know. We, you know? But we, we had a good, it had a happy ending. But, and, if, and then we started going to this little hotel upstate. <laughs> and, and Sue Do and I, I know where this is going? And Sue, we go, they have a game room in the basement. And Sue is one of the most competitive oh. people you could ever meet. You play cards with her. You play a game with her. She's like reading the rule book. She's all in. Dave, who gets mad when they don't win? Me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you win. That's often. why I always beat him when we play ping pong. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what the story is. This is this is a very it's weird because Sue wins. Sue plays. Dave Marjan. assured me we weren't going to talk about Sue, ping pong. Tonight. Sue plays Marjan with her friends every week. She destroys these old ladies and. <laughs> In town, she every week she destroys them. We play games um, among the family. Sue's reading the the rules. She beats yes. us all the time. The other night she beat me, Linda, and Nora at Uno, and she and she bragged afterwards. <laughs> but so natural. We go to this house, this hotel, and in the basement they have a ping pong table. And I said, Sue, I'm a drug addict. I've spent years in rehab. You're not going to beat me in ping pong. And she didn't. I destroyed Wait a minute. her. You can imagine how upset he was when I beat him. Well, this is the weird part. I, I, I've lost a million things in a million places. I've never had a hard time admitting it. I beat Sue, and, she, and she's lied about it for years, <laughs> and it makes me crazy. She lies to her granddaughter about this game. I don't Wait, know Nora, how. Sue, you how can't do you? Put her, you cannot how, put her on the spot. How do you live with she yourself? She witnessed her grandmother winning. She didn't. She's but so confused. you have she shamed goes, her like, into. Like, Daddy, I know I saw Grandma lose, but oh. Grandma wouldn't lie. And I said, yes, she would. <laughs> but um, tell them what you got for Christmas from Grandma. Oh, the, 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 the a ping pong set Every year since then And then she <laughs> says at Christmas Dave, remember when I beat you at ping pong? And I go crazy But, you know It's a pleasure to have you finally on the show Do you, oh. Is there anything that you wish you had said that you didn't say? What was uh, the worst of it? Did you ever think we'd make it to such a place? I tried not to think too far ahead But to be truthful the first year or two, no. no. I think it was a. It was, I mean, I or put three. you guys through the. Yeah. Yeah, it was probably more than that because there came a point where I was not sure between you and Linda, like who was going to fuck it up worse. Where, where, where it would end. You know, I, I think, wasn't sure. I think that our story is very unusual. I think there's a lot of people who go through similar stuff. And there's a lot of stories that end much worse. You yes. look at poor Todd, yes. you know, yes. who who never had a yes. priority, or Chris, yes. or Chris, you know, and, and these guys like didn't do things that differently than I did, yeah. but they didn't get to live through it. Yeah. And then all of these broken families, or and I have to also say that Linda, 
mm-hmm. uh, standing her ground and not coming back yes. was uh, incredibly beneficial to the mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. And that was, of course, probably through you, too, because she does most everything you tell her to do. No, but I didn't tell her that. I think that she was very... Because she had a daughter, and she knew. I mean, you know, that baby could be taken... You know, they can be taken away if there are drugs going on inside a house. She needed to protect And she her. knew that. Right. And so I think that's what that was about. So the advice is is what? What was the advice? I'm not giving advice. I never gave you advice. Not for me, for the dopey nation. For the dopey nation. And can you believe how big and powerful dopey has become? It's wonderful. And I'm very, very proud of you. Thank and I'm you. hoping that it's helping the some of the... Uh, Dopey Nation. Who knows how it can possibly I'm be hoping. helping them. I'm hoping. How this can help anybody is, is beyond me. Well, not the ping pong story. I think the ping pong but the story rest is of it. the most helpful. How a, such a socially, morally honest, upright woman could lie about something as petty <laughs> as ping pong is the question <laughs> that I really can. How about the time? Wait, wait I want to wait. Only if it's good. It's not. I also think that, um, you know, I don't know about other people's experiences, but we did go to an Alan, Alan Non, just one, just maybe two or three times, not a lot, Tony and I. And it was very helpful, actually. You know, it was very helpful for us. So I I don't know if that's helpful for any other parent. Why was it helpful? Grandparent. Just to hear what other people were going through. And um, to have that support, you know, I, I, I found that to be helpful. I think people, people swear by it. You know, yeah. people swear by it. So I think that, I think getting support really helps. And um, to keep your priorities in order, you know, as the parent or grandparent. I can talk more to the parent or grandparent than I can to... The addict. To the addict because of my... Um, Lack of personal experience. So when you say to the parent, especially having had no, not even smoking a cigarette, you know, or I did drink beer in college, but it was never something I needed. I hated it. It was just everybody else was doing it, and you know, I didn't get addicted. It wasn't something. And you know what? Drugs, um, marijuana, only came into the college my senior year, so I was already past that. You know, had I gone to college after that, instead of beer, it probably would have been marijuana, you know? My so, dad always said he smoked weed once and it made him tired. <laughs> so that was my dad's story. Yeah. So you would tell the parents or the grandparents to keep the priorities. So what are the priorities? The priority, if there's a grandchild, is the grandchild. If it's your child, to try to understand that it is a disease, because I do believe that, and that... The uh, addict themselves is probably hurting in a million ways you might not even know about. Well, I think I know that I still have a hard time making sense of whatever pain I was in, why, and and why it went on the way it went on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I honestly... For me, mm-hmm. is it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like for me, the 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 questions that I have about that incredibly prolonged mm-hmm. period, mm-hmm. I don't think 
I mean, I, I can imagine getting very wealthy and spending a ton of money on psychiatry to try to figure it out. But as and long, why do that? Exactly. Just go forward. Well, the point Just is, go forward. That, well, the point is that once you're out of the problem and mm-hmm. you're into the solution, mm-hmm. you focus on what makes your life work. Mm-hmm. You know, like this, this you know, going to meetings work for me. You know, praying works for me. I, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I've been meditating on the train lately. Mm-hmm. I like meditate for 10 minutes. I've started writing again. So good, like, I, I, it's like that, I mean, I, and I go to meetings because. Mm-hmm. And I think that. There was a period of time years ago, because I remember I would ask you if you were going to meetings, and you and you stopped going. And I think that you're, for you, you're understanding how important those meetings are for you has really been a big help, I would think. Well, the and probably idea, it would be for anybody. If you're, if you're willing to drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, mm-hmm. if, you, if I needed to get better, mm-hmm. like when I, after everything, and like, and I had 18 months clean but i wasn't sober you know i mm-hmm. i i was aching to get high and i was fighting with myself every day it wasn't until i finally like gave up and i was like mm-hmm. i just need to i can't be like this anymore mm-hmm. i was holding on to a childhood fantasy mm-hmm. and when i finally saw that that was after we went on that trip to pennsylvania mm-hmm. and i still was like why can't i smoke pot why right, can't exactly. i why can't i be I remember who that. i wanted to be and and i I, I had this vision of myself, this, you know, 30 or 41 year old child begging to stay a child. And it was like, I need to give this up. And it was when I, that was like a revelation. And then it, it everything else has been, how do I um, get better as somebody who isn't using substances like Mm -hmm. how do I make my life richer how do I add things that gives my life value how do I make sure that our family has food and we can afford to pay the mortgage Mm -hmm. and we can afford to pay Mm -hmm. the bills and we can Mm -hmm. all have the things we want and it involves like you know like spending your time focusing on that Right, but it's it's not even focusing on that. It's 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 saying I'm going to be so I'm I'm not going to get high. You know, so mm-hmm. many people were like, "Why didn't you get high when Chris died?" Mm-hmm. And it was like, "Because if I got high when Chris died, our family would be back in the yes. house. Yes, it we would. would be in turmoil." You know, mm-hmm. it's like it wasn't even a thought mm-hmm. because if mm-hmm. I had gotten high when Chris died or when Todd died, mm-hmm. like we would be, I would have nothing. Yeah. You know, I that's the other thing. I spent half my life doing nothing besides getting high and having nothing. And now I've had, you know, this summer it'll be five years of not getting high and I've built Mm -hmm. up more stuff in this Mm -hmm. little period of time Mm -hmm. than I ever did before. And I like that. And I want to see where it can go. And there were times that you did say in hindsight that you wasted such a, a big part of your life and your youth. But... And I would always feel you don't want to dwell on that because all of that has got you to where you are. And I know myself, other than it was really weird because when you asked me about doing this show, I like today I was thinking about, you know, kind of the chain of events and all. And I didn't want to do that, you know, because I've really put that aside. You know, I really have. I don't think about it. I don't dwell on it. I just let that go in the past. Well, I've also so, become a great pillar for you. 
I help support the. I, I help the family. I. I I'm, Wait if you a need minute. Me, I'm what there. do you mean a pillar? I'm a great. I'm a great resource for you now. I'm not this drain anymore. You're not this drain. Absolutely. If you need something, I come running. Yes, you do. So I'm I mean, going to remember that next week when I need something. Oh, you call somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean, like, but I it's know, also it all it all it didn't happen overnight. It all no, happened it over like no, serious time, you know. And again, and I've said this several times, I totally admire your dad. Oh yeah, and the relationship that the two of you have uh, have together, it's I, very beautiful. Well, I think that because he's the way he is. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was definitely a clear guide to how I wanted to be, mm. but I also think there were so many parallels between your family and your children, and my family mm. and my parents that it was a bond that we didn't really know we had until it really got crystallized and mm. you saw it, and then mm. it became very obvious mm. that like the way my dad parents is a lot like how you and Tony yes. parent, yeah, you know. Um, so I think that that was also something that bonded me and Linda that we have the same deep down we have pretty much mm-hmm. the same morals mm-hmm. and values mm-hmm. and, and what we wanted and um, but yeah I mean like I wouldn't have been able I, I don't like to give my father that much credit on the show I'm very very mean to my dad on the show oh see I have never heard those shows so no you would get very upset but you see me and my dad it's all shtick but <laughs> <It is. laughs> um, but it's because I mean I'm only capable of doing the stuff that I do because he's been so good to yes, me. Yes, he has. So, so there you go, Dad. I hope I hope you feel good about hope that. Hope you're listening. Now, he listens to everything. Oh, wow. He never stops listening. I wonder if he's going to think you're any good because he's very critical. Oh, no. Is he competitive? Uh, yes. Very oh, competitive. Wow. Very com- Do you see him playing basketball? Very competitive. Wait a minute. Who hurt their back playing basketball trying to win? I won. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. There it is. I won. And I, I, <laughs> there it I'm is. a mess. Like, look at this. I burnt. Look, I burnt my. Look at that burn. Look From how what? bad. From what? It's so stupid. I don't even want to tell you. It's such a stupid From story. From the grill? No, uh, the cappuccino machine at work, the steamer. Oh, my God. I had, I'm going to tell you. Are you ready for the dumbest I'm story? I'm ready. Is the I, dopey nation ready? Probably. <laughs> I went to work today, and uh, and I have like three cats as hoodies, and I always wear a hoodie to the job, and okay. the one I picked was kind of dirty, okay. and the sleeves kind of had like caked on coleslaw or something oh. gross, and I get to work, and something I've done over the years is if there's something on my shirt, I'll... I'll steam, steam it, off. it off. Oh my god! And I and I wound up steaming <clears throat> my arm and burning the hell out hey. of my forearm. Uh, I had to put this weird medicine on it, and it look it's bad. Did you go to the doctor? No, it's bad, right? There's something called Silver Dawn. That's what I put on today. That's the best. I put it on today. Burn. And um and then yesterday I had this crazy dentistry appointment. Like I'm a mess. My back is still messed up from basketball. I'm. Not great. Aw. Thank you. I appreciate the awe. And how about the keto diet? What do you think about that? Well, have have you spoken about that yes. before? I asked Dave, have you confessed that you've gone off it for a week? I'm back on it now. Well, I was off it for like a Dave week. When Dave was off it for a week and they <laughs> talked about the cookies, you know, that I would take two cookies home. And apparently if... A box of cookies is in their kitchen. Dave has to eat it all. 
Wow. I, and I would say, why don't you just like limit yourself to two or three? And that's and when you said you can't do that. I struggle right? with that. You struggle with that. I feel like I'm depriving myself yes. <laughs> if I only have a couple. So Well the thing is that my my addiction, my my addictness, I don't yes, know if that's a word, yes. is like like with cigarettes, when I have a cigarette, I want to just never stop smoking. Right. When and I eat ice cream, the... I want to not stop eating ice cream. When I have a cookie, I don't want to stop eating them. Now, I heard that once you give up sugar, forgetting about the keto diet, uh-huh. that after about a week, your body adjusts and you don't crave sugar. Is that true? Like when you were on the diet, were you craving sugar? I wasn't craving sugar. I was craving my standard release and my standard release is, is sugar. Is sugar like I miss the the tradition of of gorging on cookies at night? All right, I understand that. One of my favorite dopey stories when Chris was alive was um, uh, it was so funny. I'm glad you never heard it. When Susan was born, yeah, uh, I had made a big uh, batch of chicken cutlets, and I and I had to go to the city, <laughs> and I made this. Uh, I made this contact at this uh, bakery, and the baker gives me this bunch of like one. I think one very big, very impressive chocolate chip cookie, and uh, and out of nowhere, Linda Linda goes into labor, and this time I was at the hospital the whole time. Yes, you are, which was great. Um, but I have to say that the whole time that I was at the hospital, all I was thinking about was this cookie and getting home and, and getting this cookie from this, this famous baker. And I come home and the cookie is gone. And, and I knew you took the cookie. And I remember what I called, I called you up. I said, Sue, where's the cookie? And you said, Dave, you, you get that voice. You go, Dave, uh, I ate half the cookie. I'll bring you back the other half. And you didn't think I was going to say bring it back. And I said, well, bring it back now. <laughs> and you brought back the other half of the cookie. Do you remember this? I don't remember that. You brought back the other half of the cookie. And it turned out the cookie wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. I do remember that now that you said that. That's probably why I only ate half. Exactly. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, stop. I didn't know you were looking forward to that. And cookie. you took the chicken cutlets. You took the whole batch of chicken cutlets. Well, I didn't know you were going to eat them. It was a great. It was a great bit with Chris, uh, and I think we had recorded it. We had just bought the house, and the only reason we got to buy the house is because you bought the house, you know. <laughs> but I haven't. I'm paying you back every yes, month you for are. it. Yes, you are. Um, and uh, Chris came over. Uh, it was pretty close to before. It was right before Todd died, and it was pretty close to when Chris was going to die. Mm. He came over to the house, and we had no furniture. We hadn't moved in. Uh, I didn't know he had ever been to your house. He came over. I think Susan had been born, and oh. Chris came out, and we recorded in the living room with no furniture sitting on boxes because there mm. were boxes. Mm. And uh, and I told him that story about you stealing <laughs> Did he believe it? Of course. It's a true story. Well, He's like, oh, I heard she just beat like you the at ping, ping pong. Just yeah. like the ping pong. <laughs> um, but uh, I love that story, and I'm, and thank you for coming on. And You're did you have fun? I did have was, fun. Was it cathartic? It, it was cathartic. It was it? Well, sort of. All right, I'll take that. <laughs> um, thank you for coming on, and thank you for being such a great mother-in-law and an even better grandmother. Oh, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Bye, Dave. Bye, Sue. I love you. <laughs> so it meant a lot to me to have uh, Sue come on the show, and. Uh, 
It's a crazy story, and and it's and I think it's weird to put it out there, but at the same time, I'm sure a ton of you guys have a, a similar situation in one way or another. And, um, you know, I don't think I ever could have imagined things working out the way they did, but it's amazing that they did, and it's amazing that Sue and I have such a, a good relationship now, and it's all because... Uh, of recovery, you know, and, uh, and even if you guys think that you're in a situation that's never going to get fixed, there's a good chance that you can fix it. You know, anything, as long as you're alive, uh, things are fixable. Although I still haven't fixed things with my drummer, John and John, if you didn't know, created that amazing fat Albert music at the front of the show today. So let's, let's hear it for John and, um, anybody out there, Please send in emails and voicemails to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. And now I'm going to drop a little dopey and uh, we'll hit you with the dopey, as Chris used to love to say, which is this dude, Tommy. He's been writing us for years and uh, he has a crazy dopey story. Hi, Dave. Hi, Dopey Nation. This is Tommy from Long Island. Um, although actually I've been living in California for the last three years, so maybe I'm Tommy from California now. Anyhow, uh, I've been listening to the show for, for a couple of years. Actually, Chris read one of my reviews, um, and I felt like a celebrity, uh, then and still do. Um, I've been, I've been off of, uh, heroin and crack for, uh, good almost two years um and uh i've actually found the dopey podcast uh, year, years ago about because i was looking up suboxone and it just popped up and i was like oh okay and i listened i've been on i've been on subutex for on and off for seven years um at first dave was kind of criti- critical of it and i was like god oh, damn because there was a lot of shame involved in um in in taking it um anyways over the over the over the time uh he's a little bit more accepting of it which which made me happy and also the don't die podcast uh it was also really good you know it's just like don't die anyways um i'm always I'm always uh, happy to, to to talk about it because there there like I said there's a lot of shame involved in it. Um, the one, two times I got off of it, uh, the first one crash and burn, horrible, lost you know relationships and all that stuff. The second time, um, I was doing great on Suboxone and I decided to to go off it uh, and go into treatment and and, and get off it. Horrible uh, situation. Uh, ended up uh, overdosing um, in a hotel room on Wall Street in Manhattan. Uh, just a strange time. Um, fentanyl almost died. Shot. Anyways, it was it was horrible. I got off it and then I went right right back on. So I guess long story short about the Suboxone thing. If you're on it and it makes you good, then that's great. Um, you know, I'm doing very well on it. You know, I've, I just uh, went from being a line cook for 15 years to becoming a sous chef out here in California, stepping up, saving more money than I ever had. Um, on the flip side of that, if you're kind of on the edge and debating on whether to, to go on it, I would say think twice. 
reason I say that is because it goes into your it goes into your bones. It goes it goes in there, and it's it's the the kick is a. Three times as long as the as as dope, so it's it's kind of I don't know. It's think think twice. It could save your life, but it could also it's really hard to get off. Anyhow, um, I want to share the the last time I smoked dust. So it was 2009. I had just gotten uh, six months sober from off of a really bad crack addiction. And uh, decided to go to the Bonnaroo Music Festival down in Tennessee. And um, I made it through about two days of the festival, uh, white-knuckling it. And uh, finally ended up at this one of the, the Saturday night, the big show. Some guy passed me a bowl like, hey, man, I think you need this. And I hit it. I got really paranoid. And uh, within a half hour, I decided I need a beer. So I went and I got a beer. And then uh, I saw some mutual friend uh, bumped into him. And he was like, hey, man, you want some some ecstasy? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I took a pill, went through the night, um, was getting fucked up for the rest of the night. And then around, I'd probably say around 7 o'clock in the morning, I was like, you know, drinking, still drinking some beer. And I decided like, man, I need some Coke. So I went out looking. I went over to Shakedown and uh, couldn't find any Coke. Um, but I kept walking around. Finally, I met this guy from Brooklyn and he had he had everything. And he was like, oh, man, I got dust. And I was like, oh, all right, all right. I was like, I need some Coke. He's like, yeah, I got Coke too. And I was like, nice. So we went and... He busted out his uh, backpack of some of everything, and he he I bought the blow, and uh, he was like, "Give me a cigarette." So I, I gave him a cigarette, and he he dipped it in the liquid dust, and he pulled it pulled it up, and he did it too much because it pulled all the way into the filter. I mean, the filter was even soaking. He was like, "Oh shit, man! I hooked you up," and I was like, "Yeah, yeah," and I was kind of drunk at this time, so I grabbed it. I uh, I broke the filter off, and uh, I lit it up. The cigarette lit on fire. I start hitting that thing like a champ, and he looked at me like, "Yo, I'll see you later, man." And he gave me a pound, and I walked away. Start getting kind of fucked up. As I'm walking away, um, the the beer can in my hand, uh, natural light or natty ice was uh, the aluminum went onto my hand and then my whole arm turned into aluminum and then my whole body turned into aluminum metal and I'm walking like the fucking tin man from Wizard of Oz and I'm shrinking into the ground and that's when I see they you know they don't have cops there they have mounties you know like the mountie police and their red coats on horseback and they're walking up and I'm like oh shit like just whatever whatever I do don't let them see how how fucked up I am and uh and coming and you know search me and find my coke what have you so I'm going I'm walking I'm walking it's like ting 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 and I'm shrinking into the grass so I'm like a couple inches tall and I'm like just 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 keep going just keep going and and I don't know if this happened or not but I feel like all the people in the camp there's 80,000 people at this at this camping out I I hear people cheering me on because I make it past the cop like ah 
and there's all this, and I'm like, ah, I made it, I made it. But then finally, I'm lost in a sea of, of tents and cars and all kinds of stuff, and I'm like, oh my God. Uh, I remember I figured out what infinity was. Um, I thought that the whole campsite was on a big boat and everybody was on this. Uh, we we're out, out at ocean uh, on this boat. And I lost time. I lost time for a while. And I'm, I, when I kind of came to, I'm, I'm crawling on my hands and knees looking for my campsite um, and I'm grabbing onto the bumpers of cars looking for my Jeep uh, I don't know how long this went on, but eventually I grabbed onto a Jeep bumper and I noticed uh, my mother's uh, beach chair that I had brought with me. And I was like, oh, my God, I made it. I'm al- like, I'm alive. And I remember I grabbed my like old school cell phone. It was like a Nextel or something like that. And I called my cousin, my friend. I was like, hey, hey, don't worry about it. I'm alive. And he was like. What what are you talking about? It's 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 nine o'clock in the morning. I was like, oh, I just want to let you know I'm alive, just in case you were wondering. He's like, uh, okay. Anyways, uh, I thought I had lost my mind. I mean, that whole day I was in and out. I thought I was uh, this like this crazy guy Omar that uh, lived in my town who played an imaginary flute. They said he took a bad dust trip in the seventies. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm Omar now. I'm never coming back from this. Um, just laying in the grass, seeing angels with no faces. And this is pretty much my life now. Um, eventually I came back to life, um, for the most part. And, uh, here I am. Anyways, Dave loved the show, loved Dopey. Um, so toodles for Chris. Thank you, Tommy. I fucking love that voicemail. So dopey. I love hearing about drugs at concerts and shakedown and all that shit. I never got to smoke dust, but it sounds like a psychedelically traumatizing experience, even though it's not technically a psychedelic. Um, Anybody who has a great dopey voicemail, send it in. Uh, I'm going to read an email. And um, all right. Good morning, Dave. I love the morning, by the way. She says, good morning, Dave. I love dopey. I started listening after hearing about it on This American Life and have started at the beginning. I'm on about episode 62. I love your dad. I adore Chris and you and your New York City stories are the best because I am around the same age and spent a lot of time in the city growing up. I'm from North Jersey. In the 90s, our playground was the East Village and the Lower East Side, so I can see in my mind what you're talking about. I love the story about you tripping and going to see the dead at the garden. I was probably there at the same show. I love the banter between you and Chris, you teaching him words, how to talk, and the general camaraderie and love between you two. Anyway, thank you so much for making Dopey even after your tremendous losses. You inspire me. I go regularly back to speak at the rehab I attended. It's state-funded, no frills, and close to where I live. Whatever works, right? Anyway, you and Chris inspired me to share some of my more debaucherous stories last night at my share. I always make my story funny in an effort to let people know we have fun in recovery. But last night... I hit them with the time I walked through the wrong door in my apartment, and like you, Dave, I locked myself out. Only I was naked. My plan was to go into the back alley and climb up the fire escape back into my bathroom. The ladder was too high, so I ended up using a trash bag from one of the building's cans as a dress and went out on the street to bum a cigarette. 
I then sat on my stoop completely fucked up and smoked it. Finally, I went back inside and pounded on the door to get back in because I remembered that my boyfriend was in the apartment the entire time. Typical ridiculousness. I knew we were drinking tequila, this, the lack of clothes, and doing lots of coke that night, and that it was definitely a weekday because the person I bummed the cigarette from was heading to work in a suit. Just some weeknight shenanigans. Last night, I told that room of addicts and alcoholics to listen to Dopey when they get out. I gave them a synopsis and really just encouraged them to enjoy the podcast and laugh and listen and get better. It's a beautiful life that we get to have. And how grateful am I uh, to have lived two lives? Gratitude abounds. Stay strong and toodles for Chris. Peace and love like Ringo. Ha ha. Amy. Uh, I love that. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, it's beautiful that we get to, to have and how grateful I am to have lived two lives. Uh, I feel the exact same way. I love that. Um, I love that people love dopey. I love that people use dopey to help people, even though that's not the point. The point is to give you a laugh and to keep you company. The fact that somebody is being helped and, uh, and get something good is awesome. Speaking of people getting help and, and, you know, dopey helping people, we have Josh, in sober living at uh what's I'm gonna call it transcend recovery thanks to Asher he had done a free stint at Mountainside we have fucking Charlotte at Turnbridge in uh, New Canaan Connecticut she's doing great um, my buddy Don looks like he's about to go to Aloe for six months and this is all um, because of Dopey it's a very magical thing and I'm very 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 proud of it. Uh, Thank you to everybody who's involved with this thing. Thank you to uh, the Facebook guys, Paulina and Catherine and Leah and Andrew. And thank you to Cormac. And there's so much fun, good Reddit stuff happening. Um, Lots of cool stuff on Reddit. Don't give up on Reddit. Get back into the Reddit Facebook war. Support Dopey Reddit. Twitter people, Kevin, Matt just celebrated a thousand days. Congratulations. Thank you to Sam and Sarah and Brad and Aurora, but especially Sam because he does more work than those other guys. But everybody, um, drop an email, dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Fucking, I think that's all I got. I know Chris would be incredibly proud, and there isn't a day that I don't think of him and wish that he was still here and doing the show and alive. And um, if you guys are struggling, reach out to somebody. What the fuck? Uh, It can get better. It takes a little bit of time, but it it all can get better. So stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good, so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And I want to take a ride up in the sky Watch this aeroplane just pass me by And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I want to be good, so bad Want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good, so bad
desires all I ever had And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller City far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had